Good morning once again. Uh, continuing to let you know the numbers of our hymns. Uh, the hymn that follows the sermon will be the Day of Resurrection. It actually uh, has an incorrect number in your bulletin, so I'll update that for all of you. The number is 233, 233, following the sermon. And would you join me in prayer? Oh God, on this day we come into your house, many of us expecting just exactly what we will hear. We've heard the story before. Startle us with your truth. Help us to find something new through your guidance. Enliven us with the radical idea that death does not have the last word and that we are called to be people of life. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So welcome once again to Easter Sunday here at Knox Church. We are glad to see you. Thank you for joining us and for arriving early this morning and making room for one another in crowded pews. It's always a full morning on Easter Sunday. We're gathered here in this sacred space, this space that many of us call our spiritual home. It was hard for me to imagine preaching this week without making some reference to another sacred space, to Notre Dame Cathedral and the fire that took place there the beginning of the week. This tragedy struck one of the world's most well-known holy sites at the beginning of the church's holiest of weeks. What are we to say about that? It's always a little tricky to talk about buildings in reference to faith. We all love the church buildings that we call home, this one here at Knox included. And yet, big buildings were not something Jesus had much to say about. What might he think of the time and energy and resources we put into so many of them? And at the same time, there is no denying that there are places in the world, some of them are buildings, places that some people call thin places, places where there seems to be a thinness, a closeness between earth and heaven, where we experience awe and a sense of God's presence the moment we walk through the door. What accounts for these feelings? My hunch is that it's because other people have been in that place too. And the place has meant something for them. When it began eight and a half centuries ago, the construction of Notre Dame Cathedral took about 200 years. The original dreamers who began the work never thought they would see it completed. And even those two centuries of history were far from the end of Notre Dame's creation. Countless artworks, relics, and details continued to be added. 
A major reconstruction took place in the 1800s when most of last week's lost roof and spire were constructed. Disaster has struck the building before, including by human hands during the French Revolution. That was not the only time. And in spite of this history, or maybe because of it, the legacy of that sacred space will continue. Think for a moment about the countless lives, the tradespeople and artisans, the architects, the donors who made it happen. And think about the countless millions of people who have walked through the door and felt the presence of God's Spirit. How could you not be at least somewhat in awe of such a place? Less famous and sacred spaces like this one also share that kind of a history. Real people started this congregation almost 125 years ago. They came into this neighborhood, they came to this location and put a spade in the ground and began, began work in which countless people would follow. Some of them are your uh, direct relatives. Because all of you are here today, those of you who have been around for decades and those who may have walked through our door for the first time today, you are a part of the spiritual story of this place. And so God's Spirit is also felt here. As it turns out, it's not really about a building. It's about their, a people and their story and how God has called all of us together. On the very first Easter morning, a small group of people went to an unnamed tomb and became part of the story of our faith. Who were they? And how did they show up there? What were they expecting to find? And how were they surprised by what they did find? And what did that place and those people have to do with us? Interestingly, those first people at the tomb were asking the same questions as people who gathered around Notre Dame this past Monday. At Notre Dame, people stood there, some in tears, asking, Our history, our story, all that has taken place here, is it over? Do the flames have the last word? Is the faith of all of those who went before us now only a memory of the past, or will it continue? This is the same question the disciples were asking that first Easter morning. The story that began and grew with Jesus' ministry, his compassionate healing, his challenging teaching, his dedication to love and to forgiveness... When Jesus was crucified, and as they went to the tomb, the disciples expected that all of it was over. But of course, we know that it was not over. It still is not. 
The miracle of the risen Christ and the faithfulness of those who came to see it. That looked very much like an ending. And it became one of the greatest beginnings in human history. So what about the people who were there on that first Easter morning? Who were those people? Those people who made that empty tomb sacred for the first time. According to John, the author of our gospel, Mary Magdalene was the first one to the tomb that morning. She goes and she tells two of the disciples, Simon Peter, and a disciple our author calls the one who Jesus loved. He is referred to that way throughout the book, and one gets the sense that it's not because Jesus didn't love the rest of them, but because this beloved disciple's reactions to Jesus are always the right ones. Peter is often overly confident or overly ambitious. But the disciple Jesus loved is different. He follows Jesus enthusiastically, but humbly. He listens more than he speaks. He is steady and faithful. His love for Jesus is deep and steadfast. At the foot of the cross, when the other disciples had fled, he was still there. In a tender moment, the very last of his life, Jesus looks down from the cross and tells the beloved disciple to take care of Mary, his mother. And he asks her to be a mother to him. Just as one would expect, when this beloved disciple hears from Mary Magdalene that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb, he springs into action and is the first one there. His response is perfectly faithful. Most of us are not like that disciple. But we may know someone else who is like him. The faithful, steady people in our church who always show up. The people among us who are always giving people another chance. Who are always giving generously of themselves and who encourage the rest of us to be a little more risky in our faith. We need these people. They show the rest of us how to follow Jesus. But most of us are not quite like the disciple Jesus loved. Many of us are much more like Peter. Peter was outwardly confident about his faith, but he made plenty of mistakes along the way. He is famously known as the one to whom Jesus says, Before the cock crows, you will deny knowing me three times. That story is remarkable because until Peter actually hears the crowing of the cock, he does not even realize that he has denied knowing Jesus. Peter slips along the fat path of faith throughout his life in ways that are subtle and gradual and catch even him by surprise. 
So it is with many of us. We approach faith with the best of intentions. And then when the good words of church on Sunday meet the reality of life on Monday, we realize that we are less generous, less kind, less courageous than we hoped we would be. And it happens in ways we hardly even notice. The good news about Peter is not that he's perfect. The good news about Peter is that he's forgiven. On Easter morning, there he is, racing to the tomb right beside the disciple who Jesus loved. Just as Jesus predicted, Peter will become the rock on which the church is built, the great evangelist who starts the original Jesus movement. I have to imagine people gathered around Peter because most of us are not looking for someone who is perfect. We're looking for someone who is real. We're looking for someone who is at home with their own imperfections and still willing to run the race. Seeing someone like Peter live the faith gives us hope for ourselves. And then there's Mary. Mary Magdalene, she is the very first one to the tomb, so I saved the best for last. Mary is the one who speaks. The stories of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all agree it was none of the men at all but the women who went first to the tomb on Easter morning. When Mary Magdalene finds the stone rolled away, she is immediately in shock, and she runs to tell someone. She runs to Peter and to the disciple who Jesus loved. We read about that foot race those two men have to be the first one to the tomb, and how they then turn around and return to their homes, for they do not understand. But Mary lingers grieving. She ends up back near the burial place, still outside of the tomb, and still in tears, she looks inside. Angels are there. Mary can hear and can see them, even though the others cannot. They ask Mary why she is weeping, and she turns around to see that Jesus is there too. And at first she cannot recognize him. This mysterious person says to her, asks her why she is weeping, and she says like she had to the angels, Where have you taken my Lord? And it's at that moment that the risen Christ calls her by name, shows her that she is recognized. Mary, he says. And it is at that moment that she turns and recognizes him. Teacher? Mary speaks. 
Mary is not only the first one who shows up at the tomb, Mary is the one who speaks, the one who recognizes new life right before her and wants others to know. Jesus says, go and tell my disciples, and Mary will be the one to go and find them again and speak the good news out loud. I have seen the Lord. Mary is the one who is first to believe that the story of Jesus is not at an end. She's the one who helps turn Jesus' end into a beginning. Mary does something for all of us who need to believe that death does not have the last word in this world. So many of the stories from Notre Dame this week had a refrain, we have to remember if we are going to live as Easter people, as resurrection people. Death can never have the last word. God's people were never meant to see tragedy as the end of the story. Tragedy exists, yes, absolutely. The struggles of the world are real. And we are Easter people. So we pay attention to the hopeful people among us, the beloved disciples of today, who encourage us to be more bold and risky in our faith, to be people who will follow Jesus wherever he leads. When we lose our way, as Peter did, we remember that forgiveness is fundamental to who we are and what we believe. Even with all of our flaws, God means to do something with our lives. And like Mary Magdalene, we we remember that we are called to speak. The good news of Jesus is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to be shared, this message that death will not have the last word. Death will never have the last word as long as we see what God has done. And we choose to go and keep speaking about life. Christ is risen. We are Easter people. Let us sing so the world can hear. Amen.